0: everyone, and welcome to another episode of Operation Sequel. Today, we're going to be talking about The Wind Waker, which I'm sure you knew since you clicked on this episode. Now, The Wind Waker was a game that released for the GameCube. In Japan, it released in December 2002, and then in North America, it was March 24th, 2003, and then Europe got it in May. It was, of course, developed by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo as well. The director behind it was Aji Ayanuma, with the writers being Mitsuhiro Takano and Hajime Takahashi. We have four composers behind it this time. We have a Kenta Nagata, Hajime Wakai, Toto Minaguchi, and Koji Kondo, the man himself. Now, just a quick disclaimer, I didn't play the GameCube version of the game, I did grab the Wii U HD remake, and I'll talk a little bit about what it changes. Now, this week, since I didn't use a guide except for a couple places, I'm going to pull from the game itself on the opening blurb. And since this is Zelda, it's a bit of a long one. Long ago, there existed a kingdom where a golden power lay hidden. It was a prosperous land blessed with green forests, tall mountains, and peace. But one day, a man of great evil found the golden power and took it for himself. With its strength at his command, he spread darkness across the kingdom. But then... When all hope had died and the hour of doom seemed at hand, a young boy clothed in green appeared as if from nowhere. Wielding the blade of evil's bane, he sealed the Dark One away and gave the land light. This boy, who traveled through time to save the land, was known as the Hero of Time. Boy's tale was passed down through generations until it became legend, but then a day came when a fell wind began to blow across the kingdom. The great evil that all thought had been forever sealed away by the hero once again crept forth from the depths of the earth eager to resume its dark designs. The people believed that the Hero of Time would again come to save them, but the Hero did not appear. Faced by an onslaught of evil, the people could do nothing but appeal to the gods. In their last hour, as Doom drew nigh, they left their future in the hands of fate. What became of the kingdom, no one remained who knew. The memory of the kingdom vanished, but its legend survived on the wind's breath. On a certain island, it became customary to guard boys in green when they came of age. Closed in the green of the fields, they aspired to find heroic blades and cast down evil. The Elders wished only for the youth to know courage like the hero of legend. So a little bit about my history with this game. I did play it on the GameCube around the time of release. I don't think it was too far afterwards. And I remember this really sticking in my head. Like for years to come, whenever anybody would ask, you know, what's your favorite Zelda? My first answer was always Wind Waker, if I wasn't thinking about Majora's Mask. So these two are were held in incredibly high regard by me, even though I can't say I'm a biggest fan of the rest of the series. So going into this, I was, you know, you know how you get a little nervous, but you're kind of excited because you're about to play a great game, but maybe you remember it better than it was. Luckily this time, well, I'll, I'll let you know how I feel about it as we go. Back at the time of release, I remember there being a bit of a backlash when they started to announce this and show screenshots how everybody was upset that this wasn't a realistic-looking link. I think that at the time they were nuts, and now I'm glad Nintendo didn't listen, because HD or no, because I did play a little bit of the GameCube one, it still really holds up well. Like, the HD especially looks absolutely gorgeous. I mean, even something as repetitive as the ocean, and you can tell when they're repeating textures, it still looks great. Uh, Something that actually impressed me that I forgot about was the fire. The cel-shaded fire, or toon-shaded, I can't remember which this is technically called, but the fire, it looks great, especially on some of the bosses. Now, going back to this, there were a couple complaints that I had. I don't think they're anything near game-breaking. But some of the things, as soon as you boot up the game and you get past the opening crawl and all that nonsense. There's no inverted camera for just free roam camera. That drives me nuts. Like, I I guess it's just because what I grew up playing, always being inverted, man, whether it's third person, first person, doesn't really matter. Like, inverted just feels right. It's probably Goldeneye that did it to me. But yeah, there's no invert camera other than first person. And for me personally, that took a long time to get used to. Like, I was staring at the floor... A lot of the time. The only other thing I can complain about with the camera is the same problem I had with Majora's Mask and I don't know if it's just the way Nintendo likes to do their 3D Zelda games but the camera feels close like it constantly needs to be adjusted so you can see everything around you when you're on the boat and you're sailing it does tend to zoom in and it does look a lot more cinematic it looks nice but if you're say you know trying to scan the horizon for the next island it's really gonna have to be fiddled with a lot. Another thing about the camera that I didn't like was it's not really a free roam camera at all. And this was definitely not what I remembered. So, you know, I went back and checked the GameCube one and it's the same there. It doesn't so much offer a free reign. It's more of a zoom in and zoom out on the vertical. You can't just choose to look up. You actually, you know, if you zoom in close enough, it'll look up a little bit by itself, but you generally have to go into free look to see your surroundings. And that was a little different than what I remember. Again, this is nothing really game-breaking, it's just things that jumped out at me right at the beginning. And while we're right there in the beginning of the game, wow, does Nintendo really lay the charm on thick with this one. Like, I mean, as soon as you're booting it up, you really can't help but smile, because they lay that charm on really thick, and it lets you know you're playing a Zelda game. well, I don't know if it's Zelda, I, I think it, it lets you know you're playing a Nintendo game. Because you feel the same way when you play a Mario game. It's just, there's kind of a goofy grin on your face and you know immediately it's so packed full of charm. Speaking of charm, I don't. if you didn't listen to the episode I did on Ocarina of Time with Craig, which by the way, more on that later because I believe I said we were going to do this together and I'll explain that later. We kind of disagreed on whether or not Link felt like a character. And I didn't think in Ocarina of Time he felt like a character. He just kind of felt like some green guy in a tunic. Eh, he didn't really have any personality. In this, they definitely rectified that. The way his eyes move, the facial expressions, like, I mean, that's half the fun. Like, seeing Link on ice in this actually made me laugh. That just, Just his facial animations and the way he moves. And I feel like he's more of a character here. And I don't know if that's because they give him a family here. Like, he has a sister and a grandmother. I think that does humanize him a little bit to where he feels like a character like this link does not feel like the same link that went through Ocarina of Time, even though, you know, this is he feels like a completely different person because he feels like a person, he doesn't feel like just a character. I'm sorry I mixed up a whole bunch of terms there, but I hope you get what I mean. And it's not just Link that has the little touches of humor. The little touches of humor are spread throughout the game until about the halfway point. Once it hits the halfway point, it gets into serious. This is a Zelda game mode. But until then, the pirates, just the villagers, they all have little touches of humor about them that really help endear themselves to you. Then, once you finish up with the Beginning of Village, the game really kind of starts in earnest. It's not quite there at Zelda mode yet, but I'll, let you, I'll tell you when we get there. This plays a really dangerous game with the first thing you have to do is a stealth mission, which I don't know if I've ever said this before on either the Bit BitFX shows or, or this show. But I hate stealth. Like, the best version of stealth is kill them all and nobody can see you. Dishonored was was a horrible, just bloody mess when I played it. Because I, I don't like stealth. Now, I'll give Nintendo some credit. This is a very painless stealth. If you've played Ocarina of Time on the N64, I can't say about the remaster on that. Remember Garuda Valley? Where, if you get seen, you get taken to a prison? It does that here, but not only can you to pull a solid snake and hide in things like the cardboard box. It seems like the vision detection of the enemies are a lot more narrow than you would think they are. Like they don't... it doesn't pull like a full 45 or 180 degrees in front of them. It's very narrow and you can actually sneak right by enemies. So even if you do get caught, the, the dungeon cell isn't in too remote a location. And you can get back to where you were fairly easy. Even though it's playing a really dangerous game by starting with a stealth mission, it's fairly painless, and I actually had no frustrations at all playing it. Now, with most things that are stealth-based, it's generally a slower-paced game, and it's really not until you get the Fire Dragon Roost that the game actually starts to pick up. It's very slow going at first, a lot of story, a lot of setup. And you're not actually playing all that much, and what you are playing isn't what you picture as Zelda. So by the time I hit Fire Dragon Roost, I was really itching to fight, because I remember I really liked the combat system in this. And on a side note, the the combat system is a little bit different than Ocarina. It's almost the same as the two N64 games, just think smoother, more sped up. They also add things like the counter-attacks, which are incredibly important to it, especially against fighting Ganon, otherwise you won't win. But things like that, and just the little touches, like every time you hit something, the notes on a scale go up the more you hit them. It's little touches like that that make combat feel a lot more satisfying, and I really wish it was like that in both Majora and Ocarina, because this is by far my favorite Zelda game, combat. Like, there were times where I actually wanted to get into a fight and the cavern where there's the 50 floors that you go down to get the hero's charm. That I did for fun, twice. Just because I really enjoy the combat in this. Speaking of the story and how it, it wants to definitely set it up before it kicks you in the butt and says, go adventure. This feels not the same way as either Majora or Ocarina. This is not as cohesive as Majora was. So, I guess if I, if I had to put it a certain way, The Wind Waker would be like a story-driven TV show where there are little episodes on each island. And yeah, you may have one episode that links into the other, but for the most part, a lot of these side stories are very self-contained things. Let's say Wind Waker would be a story-driven TV show Whereas Majora would be a movie, because Majora, that that constant thread was there. However, in this, it works much, much better than it did in Ocarina. I, I don't know if it's because the characters are more, well, full of character, or if it's just that I was more interested in this world. Now, the world is not like most other Zelda games. It is a 7x7 grid, which by the way, thank God for that grid. Because otherwise, navigating an ocean that size without a grid would have been infuriating. But you're gonna spend most of your time here sailing. So if you're not necessarily a fan of like riding in the regalia in Final Fantasy XV, you might not like this. Now, I think Nintendo noted that, especially once they were starting to do the remake, because one of the things they added was something called a fast sail. And in the base game, you have to take the Wind Waker and move whichever way the wind is blowing so that the wind can catch your sail and you can sail. Duh. In this, the fast sail lets you move twice as fast and it automatically moves the wind whenever you turn the boat so that the wind is constantly catching your sail. So, navigation in this is not near as time-consuming as it was in the original GameCube. So if that was a bit of a knock for you, then this definitely fixes that. And personally, I liked it even in the first game, but in this, it is is so much easier. I don't think I could go back to the GameCube version because it is so painless here. And the exploration is kind of fun. There There are some things that are frustrating, like if you want to chart out each island, you have to find a fish and you have to feed it bait. And then the fish will fill in your map now. That's not very painful to do at all The only problem is every time you find a fish and remember you're trying to fill in a 7x7 grid So you get a lot of places you got to stop you have to deal with this cutscene almost It's it's only like 30 40 seconds But if you're like me and as soon as you get the ability to sail the ocean proper without having it shunt you in a certain direction you go fill in the map and then you're seeing this sucker a ridiculous amount of t- times and you're just trying to mash the B button to get it to go faster. It was a minor annoyance. Now, there are a, there's only really one problem I had with a dungeon or the dungeon boss specifically. In the forest, well, in I guess it doesn't matter if I spoil it. You know what you're here for. In the Deku Tree, there's a boss that is a lot like the Amoeba from Ocarina. You know, it hangs from the ceiling and you got to cut it with the boomerang and once it falls, there's a little center, you gotta run up into it and hit it, and after a little while, it'll close, like think Venus Flytrap, right? And then pop back up to the ceiling. Now, my only problem with this was you have to use the boomerang to knock the tendrils off the ceiling. And once you do, if I kept the boomerang equipped, the camera, because I had it locked on the boss, went absolutely haywire. And I don't know why, but every time I did it, it just, you couldn't tell where you were, it would get clipped into the boss itself, I mean it's a fairly easy fix but it is something that I noted and it, it did make it a little bit more frustrating but not really and I'll explain that later. I'm explaining a lot of things later, I should really get around to doing them now. So you help the Deku Tree and do all that stuff and then you come across something that really drove it home to me and that's the little festival that the, I believe they're supposed to be Kodamas. You know those little white things from Princess Mononoke or if you've played Neo, the little shrine spirits, These they're uh, nature spirits. In this, they look like little leaves, and they play their instrument, and it, it's kind of, it's just charming. And that's probably the biggest word I can use for this. It, this game is incredibly charming, much more than anything else. Like, this if this was the only Zelda game, I, I would never stop talking about it. Well, okay, I gotta stop ranting, so, <clears throat> you know what I meant. So after you putter around the world map in the beginning, it starts sending you on what feels like to be, okay, this is the meat of the quest and you end up collecting, you know, your bomb, your your bow, your, well, your hookshot eventually, the deco Leaf, you know, all these tools that you normally get in a Zelda game. Then you have to go to the Tower of the Gods, and what this is, is this is actually old Hyrule, and it's frozen underneath the water, and that moment is something that stuck with me ever since the beginning of playing this game, and it still is quite an awe-inspiring moment. What they did was, was very nice. All the enemies are frozen down there, and you have to find a secret compartment so you can find the Master Sword. And once you pull out the Master Sword, the enemies start to unfreeze. And then you have this great arena battle with all these monsters. But that, that moment where it finally clicks that, oh, hey, this is Hyrule, is still a great moment. And it was kinda, I still remembered it, so it wasn't quite the surprise again. I remember that being a very cool moment when I first played it. And it's nice to see that even now, after I've seen so many games, it still holds up as a cool all-inspiring moment. Once you get back to the fortress that you initially had to stealth your way through, now you can fight your way through like a proper Zelda mission. And you have to try to rescue your sister, because she was kidnapped by a giant bird and, eh, play the game, you'll see it. But it, it is nice how a place that you initially had to sneak through, you can now go through like a whirling dervish of terror and just wipe everything out. The boss fight of the the fortress is a little disappointing, and that's something I do want to talk about. The, The boss fights, almost all of them, are kinda cool in design. They've done a lot of them before. They're a bit more perfected here, and I'm perfectly fine with that because craftsmanship should be as rewarded as innovation. I found them all quite easy, including Ganon, like the multiple forms of Ganon. I didn't die in this once and I only used a fairy twice and that was right at the end now This isn't because I'm some amazing video game player. I'm quite average But I think it's kind of that problem that Zelda runs into to where if you prepare for things They're generally all pretty easy with the exception of Zelda 2 that one had some teeth to it All the boss fights in this are very did you pick something up new in this dungeon? You're gonna have to use it to defeat the boss they're all very rote. While the designs are great, like I like the the boss that is made of all the pose and I like the boss that's the hands. It kind of reminds me of Ungo uh, Bongo or Oingo Bongo or Bongo Congo or Dun- Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Reminds me a lot of that. So, I mean, their concepts are there and they're great concepts, but all of them except for the sandworm, the giant sandworm that you gotta grab at the hookshot, that was the only one that even gave... A decent amount of challenge and I was a little disappointed playing through it because I enjoyed this one and I ended up going and getting a lot of extra heart containers and you know maxing out your bow quiver so you have 99 or your bomb bags so you have 99 and all this, and it felt like I really didn't need to do that at all. So they still have kind of that problem that's existed since Ocarina. And even Link to the Past was a little bit that way. So anyway, after you rescue your sister, you have to go power up the Master Sword. So you have to hit these two shrines. You also have to find all the pieces of the Triforce. Now, this is much better done here in the HD, because in the original, that was a long, drawn out, felt incredibly like padding. You had to find the charts and then you had to find the pieces, but you had to find much little, little, little. you had to find much more of these pieces. In the HD collection, they really shrunk that number, and it feels way less like padding. It actually feels like part of this quest instead of them just trying to stop you from finishing the game too quick. Now once you get to this part where you have to upgrade the Master Sword, that you're pretty much hitting end game. Like this is a fairly short game. Now, they do want you to play around, have some fun, and explore the world a little bit. It surprised me how fast, once I started going through those temples, the Earth Temple and the Wind Temple, how fast it all got done. Now, I am glossing over a lot of things, specifically character moments and story moments. One of the ones I would like to talk about is, so at the beginning of the game, there's Tetra, and she is a pirate captain. Now, I'm sure everybody knows who Tetra is now and who she turns out to be. But the reveal of Tetra being Zelda was handled way better than Sheik being Zelda. Like, I remember being a little surprised when I first, oh, okay. I wasn't sure if Zelda was going to be in it or she was going to be at the end once you completely unfroze Hyrule. You know, but in this, turns out Tetra is Zelda and your boat is the king of Hyrule. that's kind of cool. That works. My only problem with this is as soon as Tetra turns into Zelda, her personality does an immediate 180, right? I don't like that. I like the personality of Tetra. You know, she was a bit spunky and, you know, she she pretended to try to stop you while she would wink at you. She had a more playful attitude as Tetra, whereas as soon as she turned into Zelda mode, she turned into your bland Princess Zelda. And I don't, I don't like that because I really like the character of Tetra and Zelda is a very boring character. I mean, think Princess Peach in the first two, three, four Marios. There there wasn't really a personality there, and Zelda's always maintained that just, well, you know, you hit the end when you get her because there was never really personality. And this time, they finally gave her a good personality, a fun personality, and it went away. Now, once you finally get her again and you meet her again towards the end of the game, like right at the end of the game, her personality is a little bit back to Tetra, but During that cutscene where the king is explaining that yes, you're Princess Zelda and blah 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 blah, The personality switch really rubbed me the wrong way. Again, not a huge deal not even remotely important But it's something you'll notice Speaking of cutscenes the sages aren't nearly as overdone as they are in Ocarina where it's this long Boring cutscene and you know who the sages are before you even have to worry about it Here it actually kind of surprised me like I forgot the little Kadama guy Was a sage and that the bird girl was a sage. Completely forgot about them. It's nice when they populate a world with enough characters that you're not quite sure who the sages are gonna be and it's a bit of a surprise when you do get it. Like I swore it was gonna be the prince that you helped save at Dragon Roost, but nope it was it was the girl and that's kind of cool. Now speaking of the sages, this one is a little different you have to actually escort these sages through their respective temples. So the little Kadama guy, you have to take him through the Wind Temple and Bird Girl, whose name I can't remember, but we'll call her Bird Girl, Hawk Girl. We'll call her Hawk Girl. You have to escort her through the other temple. There is a little bit of frustration there. It's not near as bad as Princess Ruto in Ocarina of Time, mainly because you have to use them to get through the dungeon more. And it's not just put you on a switch and yeah, you helped me. Like, for instance, there are some times where you have to have Hawk Girl pick you up and fly you to a, another platform that you won't be able to reach any other way. It wasn't too painful getting through them. Now, the dungeons themselves, I really like their dungeon design here. Much better than Majora or even worse, Ocarina. They're not a hassle at all. They still have little hints of puzzles, and they're not too hard to figure out. And they don't do some of the hidden stuff like they did in older games. But all the dungeons were fun to get through. Now, I will take fun any day over difficulty, even though I just said this was too easy. I know, I'm sorry, it's just the way I feel about puzzles. But I'm glad that I didn't have to, oh, here we go with another temple and it takes you, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes to get to. Instead, they were very quick, almost room-isolated puzzles. Once you get to the Wind Temple, it does have a little bit of interaction between the rooms and the different puzzles. But it's nothing major, so every room in and of itself is almost its own puzzle. And I like that design a lot more than these big, overarching, I flipped a switch, I don't know what door it opened, I don't remember what that looks like, all the walls look the same. I, I'm glad it doesn't do that. The only complaint I would have would be little things like, they won't jump down ledges, no matter how ledge, how big the ledges are. Like, it, it could be a two-inch ledge, but you still have to pick them up and move them, or... Use the command ability. Now, I haven't touched on the Wind Waker very much. I might as well do that here, right? So, unlike the Ocarina, you only learn, I believe it's eight different songs, compositions, I guess. And a lot of them are utility. Like, you have your Ballad of the Wind and that just, no, Ballad of Gales, I'm sorry. That's almost a fast travel. Not quite as well done as the Owl in Majora's Mask, but it works, especially getting around the world map. And there's one to turn, you know, night to day. Other than that, they're mainly going to be used at very specific points. Especially if you have the fast sail. If you don't have the fast sail, you'll be using your wind waker, which is the baton, in case you didn't know. You'll be using that a lot more often. But if you're just using the fast sail, you very rarely ever use it except on certain pads where you have to to progress the story. So we've very quickly done everything we need to do. Now it's time for the final showdown. Now this is where I really enjoyed the game. There is a boss rush where you have to hit four bosses. And the cool thing about it is when you go in to fight them, you don't have your full bag of tricks. You've only got what you would have at that point in the game. So if you're fighting the plant thing that has tendrils that hook into the ceiling, all you're gonna have is the boomerang. It takes away everything else other than, you know, your bottles, you you do still keep your bottles, but almost everything else you've gotten until that point, like the hook shot or the bow, any of that, it takes it all away. So you have to refight that boss in almost the same condition that you fought him in the first place with your health being higher. And I like that. It, I also like that Ganon has three forms with a throwback to the original where he was a pig. There's a puppet Ganon. You gotta cut all the strings and then hit him in the back with a light arrow. The only boss that frustrated me was Phantom Ganon. So if you remember in the end of Ocarina, you have to do that thing where you hit the magic ball back and forth, back and forth. I think it was the length to the Past, too. But you hit that magic ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And eventually you smack him a few times and he dies. And you're like, oh, well, that was pretty easy. And there are four doors and you're not sure which door to go through. And so I just, you know, north- it's directly ahead of me. Let's do it." So you go through, and you fight him again. And then you fight him again. And then you fight him again. And it doesn't really seem like you're making any progress. So after you kill him, you have to wait until his sword falls. And where whichever direction his sword hilt points to when it falls, that's the door you gotta go through, and you get that nice little jingle letting you know you made the correct choice. That is a very cool but very frustrating boss design if you're playing without sound, which it was uh eventually ended up turning up the sound because you know i was watching a movie while i was playing and yeah it was a little frustrating i mean i can't ding them on it it's not bad design or anything it was just my particular circumstance also speaking of losing time i did it again i just take for granted that games made in the last 10 years or so eh, you're gonna have autosave. not a problem this does not you have to save manually so make sure you save it manually because I was sitting there playing. It's probably been about three, four hours and just plugging away at it. And then I got a message from the guys. Hey, you want to play some poyo Poyo Tetris? Now, not being an insane man, you say yes. And so you're like, eh, probably auto save like five minutes ago, shut it off. It, oh, I lost everything. So I had to go through all that again. That was that was a pain in the butt. Who are you going to blame? It was my own stupid fault, right? So yes, it does not auto-save. Make sure you manually save. So you've beat Shadow Ganon, you've beat Puppet Ganon, who has three forms with the spider being my favorite. That was fun because you had to move very quickly and shoot your light arrows precisely. So you get to the top, there's a great ending scene where it's raining and Ganon's at the top, Zelda's knocked out, and all that is wonderful. You go to rush him, he beats the crap out of you, and just flings you off to the side, takes your triforce, takes Zelda's triforce, forms them together. He's about to touch it to get the power, and then Red, who is the king of Hyrule, pulls on Oolong. Just just right before he's about to touch it, runs over and touches it. Story beat, blah, 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 blah. You now have to fight Ganon for real. Now, this fight is great. This fight, Ganon never felt as much of a threat as he does here. No matter what you do, you can't attack him. Now, Zelda's off to the side trying to shoot him with light arrows. If he shoots him with a light arrow, it'll stun him for a little bit. But you have to be careful because it will do the same to you as well. Now, the only way to win this really is to use counters. And you can't counter everything he does. So this almost felt soul boss. Right? Like, and he hits pretty hard. Like, I, I ended up going through two fairies until I finally grasped, oh, this is how I do it. He's not quite on the level of Majora's Mask, not yet, but they really made Ganon quite menacing in this, and I like that. Another thing I really like, and I will say that I, this is a character trait that's coming out of him, always gives Link a fighting chance. It doesn't matter the situation, he's always, I won't kill you, back when you're stronger and we'll have a good fight i, I like that that almost endears you to ganon He's he, not playing fair necessarily but he won't stomp you before you have a chance so that last fight is probably the only time anything in zelda has ever felt like a sword fight he's got his double swords you've got your sword and shield it works very well this is my favorite end boss i think even topping majora in terms of the fight itself i think this is better than that so you beat the game you get you watch a nice ending cutscene and I will say I do like how it's a very bittersweet ending too like that's something you don't I didn't really remember how bittersweet the ending is and I won't, I won't spoil it because you can play it it's not very long So I guess we'll start wrapping it up I, I'm sorry if this is a little different I had a lot of things I wanted to talk about and unlike Final Fantasy I can't really take the time to explain the different systems because from game to game they don't really change but what I would like to do is this is the cat meowing. So, excuse me a moment, okay, there we go, where was I? Oh, one thing I would like to do is, this is what I feel is the start of the modern Zelda. Like, once we hit GameCube, while Nintendo's finally using discs, which is a big plus. This doesn't feel of the same breed as everything else before it, this was a bit of a switch. Now, I don't know if this is going to be the one that stands out, or if Twilight Princess, Skyward Sword, and Breath of the Wild are all going to feel like this afterwards, but since we were at this juncture where they it feels different now so what i think so far of the zelda series what i think so far is very ambivalent like a lot of the games except for majora and wind waker i could take or leave i don't see me going back and playing any of them. maybe i'll play the remaster but it's not anything i'll look forward to replaying so in terms of my favorites it probably it's almost the order of release like wind waker right now is Neck and neck with Majora's Mask for the top, but just for argument's sake. Let's say it goes Wind Waker and then Majora. And then there's a very large gap between Majora and Ocarina. But in that little gap there, let's let's put Link to the Past in there. Because I do like Link to the Past more than I like Ocarina. So then it would go Ocarina and then Zelda 2 and then Zelda 1. Because everything from Ocarina on down, with the exclusion of Link to the Past, I don't think I'll ever play again. So... I'm not incredibly enjoying this playthrough. There are bright spots, like that Majora's Mask and Wind Waker were very bright spots that I immensely enjoyed. But Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword, I'm kind of ambivalent towards. I'm not looking forward to them. I don't remember loving them at the time, so we'll see when we get there. But for right now, I think Zelda's doing good. I think it vastly depends on what game you're playing is how you'll feel towards the series as a whole. Like playing, by the time when I finish Wind Waker, I'm watching the credits, say, yeah, Zelda, is a great series, this is great. And after a couple hours, and you, just, you know, you're thinking about it, you're writing notes, it's like, well, maybe it's not the series, maybe it's just this game. So, it's got its peaks, but no real valleys. We haven't hit a valley, I mean, maybe Zelda 2 could be considered a valley, but for the most part, it's flatline, and then a peak, and then flatline, and then a peak. So, we'll see how the rest of the series shakes out. And speaking of peaks... Next time, we have Final Fantasy VI, and boy howdy, that's a peak of the pre-3D generation if ever there was one. Now, it's uh, it's got a lot of work to topple five, because five was amazing. But I guess I will catch you, wait, told you I was, okay, so when I started to play Wind Waker, Craig just couldn't, because he was on vacation. And by the time he got back, I had already finished it. Which by the way, it only took me like, um, it was a week of playing after work, so it's only like, 30 hours I put into it. And that was with doing a healthy amount of the side stuff. So it's nothing too bad. But anyway, so once Craig finishes it, he's gonna play at his own pace. And once he finishes it, we'll do kind of a special episode where we'll discuss it together. I'll see how he feels, cause you know, he's never played it before. So I don't, can't say when that comes out. I don't want to rush Craig. So whenever he's done, we'll get together, do an episode about it. But anyway, all right. So hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, wherever. Let me know what you think about one way. I mean, do you think this is the, the bright spot of the series? Or do you prefer Ocarina? You know, let, let me know. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.